Thank you, Gare. As he said, my name is Johnny. If you don't know me, now you do. Um, I've been leading our youth program for the last three years here at Vintage, and now I'm overseeing groups as well. And it is a great joy for me to get to be preaching this morning to you guys here, to everyone out in the courtyard, everybody watching online. And this morning I do, I get to preach in our Jesus and series on Jesus and Generation Z. For those who don't know, Gen Z are those born roughly between 1997 and 2012, which means they are aged between 9 and 24 years old. I've had the privilege of being their pastor here for the last three years. These guys are the skaters that tear it up in our parking lot every single day. They are the youth that are meeting, the teens and preteens meeting in our youth room as we speak. For some of you, they are your kids, they are your grandkids, they are your nieces and your nephews, they are your neighbors. They are the largest generation in U.S. history, making up over 27% of the population. They're the most ethnically diverse generation in U.S. history, and they are starting to turn into adults. Over the past two years, we've experienced a really significant battle among the generations. This isn't new. Generations have been fighting for as long as there have been generations. But in the last few years, we've gone through a global pandemic, divisive elections, massive racial trauma, and it has only intensified the division between generations. We've seen generations divided and at war with each other over issues of faith and over issues of politics, general societal issues and religion, as well as the usual generational flashpoints of fashion, music, attitudes, technology. You see, on the one side, we have the older generations, of which I am somehow now a part of. I think of myself as young, but no longer. We have millennials, we have Gen X, and we have boomers, or the older generations. And if you're part of those generations, you maybe know that Gen Z are a little bit scary. We look at them, the ways they think, they act, they communicate, their value systems that they are creating is the foundation of an entirely new worldview, and it's a little scary. If you're in the older generations, you might be concerned that this generation might just ruin the world with their hyper-progressive, overly woke, anti-family, anti-Jesus, anti-authority, entirely digital socialist agenda that might rip apart the establishment. Sound about right, maybe? Where millennials, my generation, have deconstructed their faith, Gen Z seems like they want to deconstruct society entirely. On the other side, there's Gen Z who I get to work with every day and have done for the last 10 years. And they look up at us, the older generations, as being collaborators with injustice, racism, misogyny, unwilling to learn or listen and let go of the past, and unwilling to acknowledge the brokenness that we've been a part of, let alone do something about it. Yeah, that one's not as fun. <laughs> the clash is real between the generations. In fact, political strategist Doug Sosnick posits that the United States is going through the most significant period of change since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. We are going to look back at this period of time and see it as a hinge moment, a connection point between two historical periods in time, one before and one after, 
And that transition is happening as we hand over to Generation Z. James Emery White, in his book, Meet Generation Z, states that because of the size of this incoming generation, 27% of the population, that Gen Z will not simply influence American culture as any generation would, they will constitute American culture. This generational clash started long before Gen Z came of age, but will most certainly come to a crescendo with Gen Z. This is a moment in history that we cannot afford to ignore, and Jesus, in fact, is calling us to respond. I've spent the last 10 years of my life being a youth pastor in L.A. It is, in fact, my life's work to get to understand this generation and to lead them to Jesus. I've spent every day of those last 10 years hanging out with Gen Z, talking to them, going on 50-plus retreats with them. I think I've preached over 1,000 sermons in the last 10 years to Generation Z, so they sure know what I think. But I've also read the books in preparing for this sermon. My anecdotes aren't enough. My lived experience isn't enough. I've read the books, listened to the podcasts. I've studied the data. And I want to talk to you today about Jesus and Generation Z. What does Jesus want to do with us and with Generation Z? How do we, the older generations of millennials, Gen X, and boomers, respond to this cultural moment and this generational moment? Sound good? Excellent. Before we dig in, I have two disclaimers. Number one, I'm painting with a big brush. Gen Z is like 76 million people. Okay, some of them might be different than what I'm talking about today. You might have kids and you're like, they're nothing like what you're talking about. Absolutely. Everyone has a different lived experience, different economic and educational experience, different geographical experience. All of these can influence how you grow up. And when I paint with a big brush, there's tons of people who aren't going to be represented by what I'm saying. However, I still think it's relevant. The 10 years that I've been in L.A., living and working and studying Gen Z, and the data, the big trends, I still think they're worth considering, even if they aren't the total picture. Maybe you don't even believe in generations, they're just something we invented, maybe, but it's still our young people. We still need to learn about them. Disclaimer number two, and this is a big one, is I'm going to try as much as I can to not compare generations. I actually think it's incredibly unhelpful when we compare our life experience with others because it leads to unempathetic solutions. All of us have had hard lives. Every generation has had its challenges. Some might have been more significant than others, and Gen Z might actually be the most, have best of anyone. Even if that's the case, it's not helpful for us to think that way because then we don't come to empathetical solutions for them. So I'm going to try not to compare, and I ask you, whatever generation you're in, I'm sure your life has been difficult in a million different ways, and we can talk about it, but today we're talking about Gen Z. Make sense? Excellent. If you want to dig into this further, if you want to read the books that I read to prepare for this sermon, they actively have shifted the way I'm going to parent my own children, so I kind of recommend them. Um, And I even have a copy of each of these books I'm about to recommend that I no longer need, so I'll give away a free copy to someone who wants them. But um, the books I'm recommending today, if you want to deep dive on this stuff, because I'm got 30 minutes to cover it all, is uh, Gen Z by the Barna Institute. This is a kind of deep dive book because it is 
all the way, data, stats, graphs, charts. It's just data all the way. Two other books that are a little bit of an easier read are Meet Generation Z by James Emery White and Gen Z Unfiltered by Tim Elmore, where they kind of take the data and the trends and then they analyze them and try and come up with solutions. So with that said, with our disclaimers in mind, let's get going. I believe that this matters for us, this generational class, because Jesus is committed to discipleship and he is calling us to disciple Generation Z. It's easy to dismiss younger generations, criticize them, and distance ourselves from them, but Jesus uses generations to disciple one another. Jesus instructs us that generational interaction is a necessity for the flourishing of mankind and the advancement of the gospel. In Matthew 28 in the Great Commission, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. It is Jesus' great mandate that the generations interact in discipleship. The rest of the New Testament from that point on is filled with older, wiser, and more mature people discipling the younger generations. You see it when Apollos is a young preacher in the New Testament who's preaching on the cutting edge and Paul grabs him and says, your preaching is wonderful. However, let me get you connected to Priscilla and Aquila who will mentor and disciple you. You have Paul himself writes to Timothy and says, let no one despise you because of your youth. You're a wise young leader. However, also imitate me as I imitate Christ. It is painted throughout the pages of scripture that the generations must interact in discipleship. Therefore, Generation Z matters to us. These young people are being discipled by us, the older generations, whether we like it or not, by default or by design. There is a responsibility on us to disciple them well. So, how do we do it? Today, I have four points of how we are called to disciple Generation Z well. The first of which is we must understand Gen Z. We can't lead unless we understand. Jesus himself modeled empathy through the incarnation. When Jesus was at God and became a man, he became someone that knows our experience. In the book of Hebrews, it says he understands what we are going through. We as the older generations, we've never lived as in Gen Z. Maybe there's some Gen Z in the room and you have lived it, but for us millennials, Gen X and boomers, we don't know what it's like to be a Gen Z. We don't know what it's like to grow up in their generation and we're actually called to understand. A helpful analogy that I've found is to think of the generations as siblings. You've got four generations that make up most of American society. I like to think of them as siblings. You've got the oldest child, the boomers, the first child. They're the oldest. They want to lead the other kids. They want to obey mom and dad. Issues are often black or white, right or wrong. Boomers want to do things right. Then you have Gen X, classic second child, literally known as the forgotten generation. It's the name tag that defines you. Gen X or the kid that comes out of the gas station holding a bag of Doritos and a Diet Coke to see the family station wagon has already pulled out and is back on the freeway. Gen X want to be acknowledged. Then you have my generation, the millennials. 
the rebellious middle child. We want to be different. We want to change things. We want to stand out. We're known as the hipsters. Like these glasses, like I don't need these. These are just, these are fake. These, I have 20-20 vision, but they look cool. <laughs> Millennials want to innovate and change. And then you have Gen Z, the youngest child in the SUV, they're sitting on the third row by themselves. They are looking up at their older siblings and they're all fighting. They feel irrelevant and ignored. They're looking at the older generations thinking, by the time the family car gets passed down through older brothers and sisters, by the time it gets to me, it won't be worth driving. It will be trashed beyond belief. Gen Z want a new family. It's easy for us to misunderstand someone externally based on their actions and come to unempathetic and harsh conclusions. It actually takes great effort for us to uncover someone else's motivations and answer the questions, what are they living in response to? Doing so leads to compassion and empathy. So we've got to look at what makes Gen Z tick? What defines them? What has impacted them? What are they living in response to? How have they been shaped? And what is their outlook and worldview on life? So within point number one on understanding Gen Z, I actually have six more points. So buckle in, be ready. These are the things that I think are the six defining characteristics that we must understand if we're going to ever understand and have empathy for Gen Z. Number one. They are extremely online and tech savvy. You know this to be true if you've ever had a conversation to the back of a phone that someone in Gen Z is holding as they're talking to you. Gen Z have never known a world without the internet. Most have had a supercomputer in their pocket since middle school. They have unlimited access to an infinite amount of information without any need for intermediaries, guides, or teachers. From a very young age, these kids have learned to navigate digital interfaces, write code, develop apps, and interact online. Social media isn't an option for how to communicate with their friends. It is the way to interact with any other human being. The stats back this up. 92% of Gen Z go online daily. 25% say they go online constantly. One in four. 91% go to bed with their devices. They live in a world that is always on, always connected, and completely uncensored. The implications of which can be hugely positive, or as we will get into, extremely harmful. So number one, they're extremely online and tech savvy. Number two, they are a chronically anxious and hopeless generation. 2018 Pew Research did a study on 13 to 18 year olds and found that 70% said anxiety was a problem that they see in their peers. In 2014, youth pastoring in LA, before I knew any of the trends, before I read any of the data, before people were even writing books on Gen Z, I came home from youth group on a Wednesday night and said to my wife, babe, I don't know what's happened to a generation 
but every single teenager is depressed. Scholars suggest this is because Gen Z have grown up in a world that they feel is inherently unsafe. Every generation goes through its own challenges and changes, but this generation in particular have grown up with extreme instability. They've grown up with a global recession, a housing market crash. They've lived in a post 9-11 world where their entire lives it is a known fact that planes are potential terrorist targets. We've been at war in the Middle East for their entire lives. City centers, schools, and stadiums are common sites for terrorist attacks or active shooters. In fact, school shootings are so common that kids now have active shooter drills in their schools where they practice what it's like to cower in the corner of the room where if someone looks through the window on the door, they cannot see anyone. They've had the most constant and divisive political turmoil and some of the most savage partisan political division this nation has ever seen basically their whole childhood. The scientific consensus since before they were born was that climate change is about to bring about the end of mankind and the adequate changes to prevent it are not being made. Whether you disagree or agree with any of those issues, that is the narrative of their lives. It is the soil they've been planted in, it is the air they are breathing, as children, this is the world view that they have. Gen Z have grown up in a world that they feel is essentially unsafe. That also comes from how we're seeing the world. We as the parents, check out these stats from Generation Z Unfiltered. 79% of adults are concerned about the world we're leaving for our kids. 34% of adults are fearful for their kids' safety at school. Only one in four parents felt their school would effectively be able to deal with an active shooter. 82% of mothers felt their kids played outside less because it's unsafe. No wonder they are anxious and hopeless. If you're a millennial like me, you grew up that the fiction narrative for our lives was Harry Potter. A group of friends band together, choosing love and friendship as the way that they will overcome an obvious evil, and their victory is never really in doubt. The narratives for Gen Z are the Hunger Games and Divergent series, which, if you have seen the movies or read them, are stories of dystopian futures where the government has failed completely, society has fallen apart, the adults are all corrupt, the teens have to fight to survive, and the best outcome is not to win, but to hope to survive and live a quiet life stained by trauma. <laughs> to put it, put it simply, they have a pessimistic outlook on the future of society. Gen Z are worried that the future will be irreparably worse and they won't be put in a position of power to do anything about it until it is too late. That was point number two. <laughs> they're a hopeless and anxious generation. Number three, they're a fluid generation. Gen Z is growing up in a post-truth individualistic society where you decide what's true for you. 
Gareth spoke at this at length a few weeks ago, talking about the imminent frame worldview that is currently shaping our society. Go listen to it. It's phenomenal. For Gen Z, biology is fluid, sexuality is fluid, and gender is fluid because truth is fluid. That unfiltered supercomputer in their pockets has limitless information and no accountability or weight given to the source. This creates a world of chaotic truth. James Emery White says, it's as if we've dropped a library card into the world, but removed the classroom that gives us the literacy to read its contents, much less the education needed to interpret its contents. Our teens live in a world that we have to acknowledge was created by us of fake news, alternative facts, and doing your own research where you cannot trust what you read, see, or hear. No wonder these guys are anxious. They live in a world that changes by the second and where there is no moral consensus, no scientific consensus, no political consensus, no educational consensus, or even biological consensus. In a state of life, when they desperately need structure, they live in constant flux. They are a fluid generation. Number four, Gen Z is experiencing a lost childhood. This is much more subtle than it appears on the surface, but we all know that childhood is a stage of life where you need to be sheltered from certain ideas or facts because your brain is not yet ready to comprehend. If you've ever had a little kid ask you, where do babies come from, you know this tension. The kids need to be sheltered from, sheltered from adult information until their brains are ready to handle complex ideas. With smartphones, children have access to a constant stream of unfiltered information about the world that is meant for adults. From trending news, to recommended YouTube videos, to the celebrities they follow on social media, the dark underbelly of secretive apps like Snapchat with disappearing messages, our youth are being exposed to adult concepts, ideas, and experiences far earlier. The way culture has shifted, we are seeing that the sheltering of children is being removed from society. Neil Postman wrote about this and predicted it in the 80s in his book, The Disappearance of Childhood, where he wrote, when children have access to the previously hidden fruit of adult information, the child is expelled from the garden of childhood. Do you know that the average age that someone in Gen Z first viewed porn is 11 years old? When kids are exposed to the adult world too early, it robs them of peace, steals developmental stages, and forces them to act like adults when we need them to act like children. If you've ever wondered why people are moving out of the house later and acting more immature in adulthood, if you've ever wondered about this social phenomenon, it is because of this. The theorists are, are saying that most likely because a childhood is being robbed, therefore the immaturity of childhood that is necessary is being pushed into adulthood. James Emery White writes again, in America, it is virtually uncontested among sociologists that the behavior, language, attitudes, and desires, even the physical appearance of adults and children 
are becoming indistinguishable. Gen Z is acutely aware of this themselves. If you've heard of Olivia Rodrigo, she is the the Taylor Swift of Gen Z, all right? She is the young teen who's writing songs, biggest album of the year. Um, She has a song where she reflects on what it is like to be in Gen Z, and the lyrics are worth paying attention to. She writes, I'm so sick of 17. Where is my teenage dream? If someone tells me one more time, enjoy your youth, I'm going to cry. And I don't stick up for myself. I'm anxious and nothing can help. And I wish I'd done this before and I wish people liked me more. All I did was try my best. Is this the kind of thanks I get? Unrelentlessly upset. They say these are the golden years, but I wish I could disappear. Ego crush is so severe. God, it's brutal out here. All of this, the anxiety, the hopelessness, the instability and fluidity, the lost years of childhood, all existed pre-COVID. Every book I've read, every article I've read, were all written before we had a global pandemic. We can only imagine how the last 18 months have intensified these issues in Gen Z. It's rough, huh? There's hope too, though. There's some good things about Gen Z. Number five, essential things you need to know about Gen Z is they are entrepreneurial. Gen Z are innovators from a young age due to their tech-savvy upbringing. Large swaths of this generation are passionate about trying to solve problems, start businesses, be creative, step into ambitious dreams. The tech boom has led to more opportunity to be your own boss, start your own business, find economic independence and strength outside of traditional workplaces. Amen. They have grown up with problems and they are actively finding solutions. They are entrepreneurial. Number six, and this is my favorite thing about Gen Z, they are redemptive. The Barna study on Gen Z found that they care more about diversity and racial equality than anything else. Not surprising, perhaps, because they are the most diverse generation, but as well, they want to empower women. They long to see people who are differently abled, empowered, and they long for those on the outside of society to be welcomed in. In other words, Gen Z are deeply empathetic as a generation. Where lines are drawn separating people groups, it is Gen Z who want to find connection and unity through diversity. It is in this area, perhaps more than others, where we actually need to learn from them. They are redemptive. Maybe now we understand Gen Z a little better. Understand where they're coming from, understand their worldview, understand their perception, understand what they are living in response to. And so Jesus is calling us to action as the older generations. If you remember, we actually had four points, and point one was understand Gen Z, and that had six points, and we're now coming to point two. (laughs) They're not all as long as that one. Don't worry. Point number two of how we need to disciple Gen Z is that we are called to love Gen Z. 
It's this beautiful passage in the New Testament where children are coming to Jesus and interrupting him. And Jesus rebukes the adults and loves and welcomes the children. Here's what we need to know. As generations, we cannot afford to fight each other and fear each other anymore. On a multi-generational level, we need to put down the pitchforks and learn to love each other. We actually need to stop the endless mockery of millennials. We need to put an end to OK Boomer as a rude and dismissive response to our elders. And we need to stop ignoring that, that other generation. Well, Gen X, we need to stop ignoring that. That was bad. But we need to love Gen Z. In the book of Malachi, there's this beautiful prophecy proclaiming what's going to happen in the day of the Lord. This is a prophecy about when God's kingdom comes fully into fruition, what it will be like. And the prophet writes, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. One of the defining factors and absolute necessities in the kingdom of God is that the hearts of parents be turned toward their children. We are the parents. Some of you literally, but if you are in this room, we are the parents in the room of the world. We're the adults. We're the grandparents. We're the parents. We're the uncles and aunts. We're the neighbors. As someone who hangs out with Gen Z every day, can I tell you that they feel a cultural animosity towards them? I urge you to turn your hearts towards them in love and compassion and patience and tenderness because children need the love of their parents. Three, we need to lead Gen Z intentionally. As the established adults in society, it is our honor, joy, and responsibility to engage with the younger generation and make disciples of them so they may flourish and be healthy. It is not too late for us to turn our affection and our intention towards Gen Z. We are older, hopefully wiser, definitely more experienced, more equipped, and we are able to lead them well. We create the world that Gen Z is going to live in. And we have a responsibility to lead intentionally with Gen Z in mind. We need mentors to serve in our youth ministries. Just needed a little space for that one. We need parents to take a step back and to assess how we need to structure and prioritize the spiritual development and discipleship of our children. We had a parent night just last week, and we have another one coming up December 1st, meant to equip parents to intentionally disciple your kids. We need to reassess how we let our kids engage with social media, smartphones, and the internet. We need to selflessly lead in political, educational, economic, and scientific areas of society with Gen Z in mind. Jesus said, there is no greater love than he who lays down his life for a friend. How many of us will lay down our lives for our children and lead not for ourselves, but for what they need the most? Finally, after leading intentionally, I have one more point. 
going to invite the band back up as we get ready for worship. But as a final point, we need to pray for Gen Z. This sermon got a little heavy. <laughs> we talk about Gen Z, there's a little bit of darkness there. However, I have incredible hope for this generation because I know that the gospel of Jesus is good news for this generation. The good news of Jesus is hope to this hopeless generation. The peace of Jesus can calm the anxiety of this generation. The unshakable truth of Jesus can be a foundation of stability for this fluid generation. The blood of Jesus can save this generation. And the redemptive beauty of God's kingdom can be a framework for this generation. I have seen it. I have done it for the last 10 years and I've seen students that were hopeless find hope. I've seen students that were not saved become saved. I've seen depression be shaken off people. I've seen miracles. I've seen families and schools transformed from sweaty little prayers in sweaty little youth rooms. And man, we need people to pray for Generation Z. If we are a people who prays, we can shift the tide for an entire generation. And it is a significant shift because it is 76 million people. And if we can get on our knees and pray for them, if we can intercede on their behalf, the blood of Jesus is strong enough for this generation. The light of Jesus is brighter than the darkness that is in this generation. And I have hope that God will do something incredible when the church gets on its knees to pray. <sighs> to close, I really do have incredible hope for this generation if we can disciple them, if we can lead them with intention, if we can understand them and have empathy for them, if we can love them like mothers and fathers, and if we will get on our knees and pray for them, then the words of Jesus in Matthew 19 will still be true for them. Just as they've been true for every generation, these words of Jesus for our little brothers and sisters, our children and our grandchildren, Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to them belongs the kingdom of God. Will you stand with me? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I stand here in the gap for a generation. A generation of redemptive, entrepreneurial, beautiful, broken people. Our kids, our grandkids, our nieces, our nephews, our friends, our neighbors. And Lord, we pray that you would move in their lives. That we would see anxiety broken off. We would see depression fall away. We would see the light of your love shine on a generation. We would see the hearts of a generation turn to you. And we would see the church stepping in and saying, we will not live into generational divide, but we will live into being one family in the kingdom of God. So Jesus, would you move? Holy Spirit, would you stir our hearts in affection for our children? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we worship this morning, 
I urge you to press in and pray for this generation. Come on.